Well, good morning again. We've been working our way through the, the New City Catechism, and uh, there are times where we've, been, we've kind of been covering a couple of questions at a time, and uh, not always are we asked and answering those questions in the service, but I thought we would do that today. So we're to question 25, if you're keeping along at home. And uh, so let me ask the question of the morning, and then we'll begin. Does Christ's death mean all our sins can be forgiven together? Yes. Because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. God graciously imputes Christ's righteousness to us as if it were our own. And we'll remember our sins no more. One of the the fun things about preaching through this catechism and the way that we're doing it is that we're kind of hitting on some of the best ofs in all of Scripture. Uh, we're, we're hitting some of the, the most well-known, uh, richest passages, which is really fun as a preacher to mine. W- one of the challenges, though, is that sometimes we're kind of dropping into the middle of a letter or into the middle of a story or into the middle of something in order to explore a theme, but, but we kind of miss some of the context sometime um, because we're not sitting in a letter for weeks on end. Today we're in a, a really wonderful passage from 2 Corinthians that I'm sure you'll recognize uh, if you've been around the church for a while, uh, we'll get to it in just a second. But it, it comes in the middle of, of a long, actually really most of 2 Corinthians, is Paul kind of, he's defending his message and his ministry to the church in Corinth, who uh, it seems from what he's writing in the letter have kind of, they've started to, to push back against Paul. And it seems like they're, they're pushing back for some reasons that are sort of superficial, uh, they're not all that impressed with Paul anymore. And they found some other teachers who seem to them to be more impressive, uh, more attractive, better looking. Their lives look more like the kind of preachers and teachers that they imagine. And so Paul is, is defending himself, uh, saying, no, 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 I, I, what I brought to you was the true gospel. And uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of, of kind of our celebrity obsessed culture and how uh, we may be more likely to take dieting advice from a celebrity than from an actual doctor. Uh, and I, I was reminded of this as I was scanning some news articles this week, and uh, there was one that, where the title was such that you didn't even have to read the article. It was about Gwyneth Paltrow and some of her, uh, her things that she promotes, and this was the title. These ER horror stories prove why you should never do a coffee enema. And I thought, okay, I don't, I don't have to read the rest of the article to affirm that. Um, and there's a little bit of that here in, in Paul's defense of his ministry, where he's saying, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not the celebrity preacher that you, uh, that you think I should be. In fact, he spends a great deal of time in this book talking about his weaknesses, talking about all of the times that he's been persecuted for his faith. Um, <laughs> There's, there's actually a second century document uh, where one of the early church fathers describes Paul's appearance, or at least at that point, several years removed from Paul's life, kind of the memory that people have of Paul's appearance. And this is how Paul is described. A man of middling size, and his hair was scanty. So in other words, he's like really attractive. His legs, his legs were a little crooked. His knees were far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, and his nose was somewhat long. 
The Apostle Paul had a unibrow. <laughs> right? This, so this is, this is the church at Corinth is saying, we're, we're not so sure that you're all that impressive, and we like this, these more impressive teachers over here. And so Paul, in this book that we're going to look at a short passage in, he's saying, no, no, the whole point of the message that I've been preaching to you, the whole point is that it's not about me. <laughs> the whole point is that it's about Christ's power being made perfect in my life through my weaknesses. And that the Christ event, right, Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection, it completely transforms and changes the way that we view the world, the way that we view each other, so that we no longer look at outward appearances as if those are the important things. Um, But that Christ just radically changes everything. And that's where our passage picks up. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting at the end here, uh, verse 16. It should be on the screen, but if you want to follow along on your phones or in your Bibles. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, this is so much for us to wrap our minds and our hearts around. Would you help us by your Spirit's power as we hear your word? Engage our minds and our hearts. Plant your word deep in our lives, that it would bear fruit as we live as neighbors and spouses and parents and workers. Help us to remember that we are, by your grace, in Christ, that the old has gone, that the new has come. Give us wisdom to know how to be your ambassadors of reconciliation. Help us, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Right at the beginning, I just lost my place here. Verse 17 uh, is, is one of those that is just, it's so succinct and powerful. And in the Greek, it's even more succinct. Right? We read, uh, keep losing my place. There it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. In the Greek, it's if anyone is in Christ, in the Messiah, new creation. Boom, new creation. And uh, it, it gets translated both ways. It gets translated in a very personal way. If you are in Christ, then you are made new. Your life is new. You are a new creation. But it also gets translated in a more universal sense, that if, if anyone is in Christ, then this new creation has come, right? This new kingdom of God is inaugurated in Christ's coming. And and both of these are true. They're very related. 
that in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, this kingdom, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. The kingdom in which God is reconciling people to himself, not counting their sins against them. And those of us who are in Christ, we ourselves, we've shed this old life, this old way of thinking, these old actions, these old habits. We've taken on Christ's life, his habits, his loves, his priorities. So we think differently, and and so we view each other differently. We view the world differently. If anyone is is in Christ, boom, new creation. And then Paul goes on to talk about what this new creation looks like. And if you, if you have a Bible that has section headings, most likely this section is titled The Ministry of Reconciliation. Paul comes at this, uh, this concept of a ministry of reconciliation from a number of different angles. Uh, and the first is this, that God is reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ. This is something that God is at work doing. In Christ's suffering and his death on the cross, he took our sin on himself. He who had known no sin before, he became sin for us. Every sin, past, present, and future, he took as his own. So that he could, as as the Psalms say, he could remove it as far as the east is from the west. He lived a perfect life, fully obedient to God, and on the cross, in taking our sin, we hear him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, Experiencing this separation from God that sin causes. He took that on our behalf. But even more than that, he gives us something. He takes our sin, but gives us something in return. And what we get is God's righteousness, the righteousness of God. So in Christ, God places a goodness, a rightness within us that's foreign to us. It's not ours. It's not anything that we've earned or worked hard to get. It's simply a gift, but we get it. Christ's character gets implanted in us. There's this new delight that God takes in us because he sees the perfect obedience of his own son reflected in our lives. It's just grace, a sheer gift. So, firstly, this is what the ministry of reconciliation This is a phrase that Paul uses here. This is what this is about. It's about God reconciling the world to himself. But Paul goes on, though. There's another piece to it, which is he gives this task of of being messengers and ambassadors of this ministry. He gives that task to us. We're called co-workers of God. Ambassadors, making known this message of reconciliation. This is the role of an ambassador. You make the message and the intent of your king or president known in a foreign land where you understand the culture and the ways of this foreign land. And so you kind of act as this this translator, if you will, of the intent and the message of the king into this foreign land. One of the other news stories I saw this week, I don't know if you saw this, was um, the first press conference of our ambassador to the Netherlands. It's painful. It's very awkward, <laughs> and uh, it's an, a good example of what an ambassador ought not to be. <laughs> uh, and it, he, he, he had said some things in the past that were kind of questionable, and so all the reporters are asking him about these comments that he had made in the past. Uh, and r- rather than engage them, he just kind of 
completely ignores all the questions. And finally, one of the reporters is like, this is the Netherlands. You have to answer questions. <laughs> and it's like, this is, this, is how, this is how this works. And I think this is, this is part of what it means to be an ambassador, is to be able to be that translation point between the message and the intent of the one who is sending you, but then also understanding the culture, understanding the place where you are residing, so that you can translate, so that you can help to speak this message of reconciliation, this, this gospel, this good news that we have. So reconciliation starts with God's reconciling the world to himself, with God reconciling us to himself. But then it extends and becomes part of how we live as those who are in Christ. And, and it starts here in the church, right, with our relationships. Jesus, uh, one of, in one of his more challenging teachings, says if you're, if you're on your way to worship and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, just stop. Stop what you're doing and first go and be reconciled to them and then come, then come and come to worship. Right? That's how important and how central this reconciliation of relationships is to Jesus. But of course it goes beyond the walls of the church, right? It extends to our neighbors, to our city, to our country, and dare I say even beyond our country's borders. This is the scope of God's reconciliation is that it's worldwide. And this good news needs to be announced as the good news that it is. Finally, there, there's another repeated phrase in this passage that Paul mentions a number of times, and he uses this in, in a number of his letters. And it's this phrase, in Christ, or through Christ. He uses it four different times in this passage. And, uh, and it's just this reiteration that all of this happens in and through Christ. Outside of Christ, we can't do this. We can't make ourselves right enough to be in a right relationship with God. We, we can't, on our own strength, truly reconcile broken relationships. But it's in Christ that our relationship is made right with God. And it's in Christ that our relationship is made right with each other. I, I made a little chart. Just it was helpful for me. I don't know if this will show up here. This also shows you my graphic design skills. I can, I can make a table. That's about it. Right? Just summarizing some of the different ways that Paul highlights what it means for us to be in Christ. We're a new creation. We're reconciled to God. And we're invited to participate in this ministry, bringing this message to the world. And we actually get to become the righteousness of God. We get that rightness and that, that virtue gets, somehow becomes ours through gift, through grace. This work of, of reconciliation, of being ministers of reconciliation, being ambassadors of Christ, it needs to be applied to concrete human situations. This is the challenge before us. Uh, always remember, we, it's not something we do in our own strength. Being rooted in who we are in Christ is, is the foundation of this work. But once we are rooted in Christ, we, we see before us we have this work to do in the world this ministry of reconciliation. I've been pondering what it would look like to think of the different spheres of our life, the different areas that we live and move in the world. How would we approach them differently to think of them as ministries of reconciliation? 
Could we, as a church, could we conceive of the green bean as a place where that ministry is taking place? That that's our, our, our raison d'etre, our reason to be in the green bean, is that this is a, a place where we're both proclaiming and living this ministry of reconciliation. People to God and people to each other. Maybe in our work, what would it look like to, to approach our work in that way? as ambassadors of Christ, bringing about reconciliation, helping to reconcile people to God and to each other. Because there's never any interpersonal, connection or inter- interpersonal challenges at work, right? That's never the case. Everyone just always gets along. But what if we could be forces for bringing people together, reflecting the heart of God in the relationships at our work? Uh, if you've been around sanctuary for any length of time, I hope that you've heard us talk about this Hebrew word shalom, this, this biblical idea of, of peace. That's the word that it's most often gets translated into in the English language is peace. But if you've been around, hopefully you've heard us say that it's so much deeper and richer than peace. It's not peace in the absence of conflict sense. It's, it's flourishing, right? This is this biblical sense of shalom. And I think that uh, the word reconciliation we need to think of it in a similar way. I think sometimes we can hear reconciliation and we can think uh, it's just about uh, removing the conflict, right? getting rid of the conflict that existed. But it's a much more powerful word than that. Um, it's fitting that this is our theme here on this weekend where we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr., right? whose life and whose message and whose witness was to the reconciling work that God was doing and to the need for that kind of reconciling work across racial and economic lines in our country, and a work that uh, is still needed badly. But I want to, uh, I want to recast uh, the word reconciliation by reading another translation of this passage. And I want you just to listen. Uh, you heard it in the NIV before, uh, with Paul talking about this ministry of reconciliation. Listen to how the Good News translation renders this phrase, and see if it might kind of give a richer and a fuller meaning to what God is up to. Anyone who is joined to Christ is a new being. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is done by God, who through Christ changed us from enemies into his friends and gave us the task of making others his friends also. Our message is that God was making all human beings his friends through Christ. God did not keep an account of their sins, and he has given us this message, which tells how he makes them his friends. Here we are then, speaking for Christ, as though God himself were making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, let God change you from enemies into friends. Christ was without sin, but for our sake, God made him share our sin in order that in union with him, we might share the righteousness of God. Did you hear it? Friendship. Right? This is, this is the flourishing of our relationship with God and the flourishing of our relationships with each other. Friendship. And this is the ministry that God's given us, to tell the world that God longs to be friends with them. God longs for friendship with them. And in fact, went to the cross and gave up everything in order to make that happen. In Christ, we are friends with God. 
What an incredible thing. And then this is the vision for our relationships as well. For our relationships within the church. That we would be not just friendly towards each other, but actually friends. You hear the difference? A friendship that reflects the radical, self-sacrificing love of Christ. Uh, Some of you may hear this and you may start to feel anxiety because you think, I already have my friend. Thank you very much. I don't need a hundred (laughs) more. And I'm not necessarily suggesting that everyone becomes our, our BFF, right? But that there is a new way in which we relate to each other as those who are in Christ. That it reflects Christ's self-sacrificing love. That there is a level of honesty here in the church. That we don't have to pretend because we, we see each other in a different way, in a new way because of Christ. We have to pretend that we don't have a unibrow when in fact we may have a unibrow. Or whatever it is. We can, we can be who we are, trusting that who we are in Christ is sufficient, more than sufficient. Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes this kind of relationship in the book Life Together that I know, I know many of you have read. and he, he says that the reason that this is the case is because Christ is in between each one of us. Each of our relationships, each of our friendships is mediated by Christ. The cross is in between us. And that's what allows us to be friends in the church and to carry on this ministry of, of making the world friends of God telling the world that God longs for their friendship. Do you know how hungry our city is for that kind of friendship? Right? The thousands of new people coming here every week, leaving behind what they've known, whatever community they had, coming here for a job that was you know, exciting enough to leave whatever they, they left to come here. How hungry they are for that kind of friendship to be modeled and then extend it to them. Does the church, we have the resources for that, that the world just doesn't have because we are in Christ. Not because we're all that great, right? This is, this is Paul's whole thing. It's not because I'm all that great, but it's because Christ's power is at work within me. That's where we have the power, the resource, to live as friends and to tell the world that God wants to be their friend. That's the invitation to this table, to friendship with God. On the night in which our Lord was betrayed by his friends, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, I want to be friends with you so bad that I am giving up my life for you. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is how it's going to happen. There's a new covenant, a new arrangement, a new life that I'm going to pour into you that will forgive your sins and will bring about the restoration of this broken relationship, the reconciliation, friendship. Brothers and sisters, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he returns, until he comes again to make all things new.